This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. We got a big, big hour coming your way. Got, uh, we got uh, Janine Yass, the education reform advocate and founder of the Yass Prize to Transform Education with us shortly. Is there anything more important, especially yesterday, the parental, uh, the parental rights committee meeting, where they're just trying to get parental rights passed through the House, uh, the universal for the country, especially when it has to do with your kid's school. We'll find out how that'll go. And also, what do you think about it? Uh, we'll talk about that. Meanwhile, uh, we do have the President of the United States for a couple of days. Hope you're okay. He's going to be in Canada meeting with Prime Minister Trudeau. They both have one thing in common. Their approval ratings in the 30s. The 30s. Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The World Athletic Council has today taken the decisive action to protect the female category uh, in our sport uh, and to do so by restricting the participation of transgender and DSD athletes. Sebastian Coe, a legendary track star for, from England, now running things, uh, the World Track Association, International uh, Track Association, says that's it. I have an idea. Let's let women play against women at all levels of women's sports as track and field does what all sports should do and bans trans athletes from competing in female competition. We're the women's advocates. Number two. I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to establish, and I, I, I want you to know it's a big deal, the Havanaqua May. I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Thank you. This is unbelievable. 2024, a tumultuous but great week for Trump and one of the worst for President Biden as he and his woefully inept VP let everyone know and let everyone down as approval ratings hit new lows. Number one. As TikTok at any time provided the Chinese government with either precise GSP information collected from U.S. users or inferences made from that data. That I can give you a straight up no. Gotta go. That's the conclusion any clear-thinking American would conclude after watching the TikTok hearings yesterday in front of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. It's a big deal, I know, but can't keep we can't keep giving China the tools for our own demise. What I mean, big deal, I get it. 150 million Americans, that's a big deal. 
when you have 8 billion on TikTok around the globe, that's a big deal. Just so you know, it's not so much they care about you 16-year-old and your secrets, who you really want to be dating. It is the facial recognition is the trends and wants and interests that you have. And they could be manipulating America through that, especially when a third of Americans under 30 get their news from TikTok. And this guy, Sho Chu, who is the CEO of TikTok, impressive guy, went to Harvard, went to Goldman Sachs, born in Singapore. He served in the military 10 years as an officer. I get it. But still, I don't, I don't think he could possibly sell us a product that could he honestly say that China can't get all of our information on. Therefore, you have to ban it. Here's a little of the exchanges, some of the exchanges. Believe me, I could, it lasted five hours, and almost everything was riveting about it. So here are some of them. This is with Debbie Dingell. What I find also heartening, Democrats and Republicans, equally as aggressive and prepared. Cut one. Has TikTok at any time fed precise GPS information collected from U.S. users into algorithms to serve user ads? Yes or no? I will need to check on the details because we do not currently collect that. So Uh, I I need to check on the details. Yeah, I'm sure there's a yes there. But has TikTok at any time fed precise GPS information collected from U.S. users into algorithms? No, I'm happy talk today, to make inferences about users, yes or no? I'm not sure of the specific. So I'd like answers, yeah. yes or no, after this. And she goes on. And she was effective. So a lot of people effective. Cho uh, Chu was there talking about uh, what age is. Do you know in Singapore you can't even get on until you're 13 years old? Do you know in China there are certain limits? Here there are no limits. So... I understand there are 5 million businesses on TikTok. I don't think we should just go around banning things. I know Kellyanne Conway says big deal to ban anything. But it's not a matter of saying something could be, uh, circumvent our national security. This is. And if people out there, there's no draft, there's no mandatory service. Can we just ask one thing? That you take the app off your phone and maybe go to Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, or invent your own? Why not? China suddenly puts together an algorithm nobody can replicate. The Chinese ministry took out all the mystery of it. They let everybody know uh, who's in control. The Chinese said uh, the president's idea was this. The president's scared to death of losing every young voter. So he said, uh, I want them to sell it. I want them to sell it to an American company. Do you know what the Chinese government said? No, we're not going to do that. Excuse me. I said the Chinese government. The Chinese government. They're playing a role in a private company. So this guy wants us to believe they're a private company, but the Chinese country, the Chinese government is deciding that they won't be sold. He said, uh, he said that the livelihoods of the five million, he said uh, this, China not supporting the for sale. He said on Thursday, they firmly opposed the sale of the app, forcing a transaction would seriously undermine the confidence of investors from various countries, including China, to invest in the United States. That sounds like a country very much involved. Do you think that if somebody we were selling, I don't know, Clorox or uh, we were selling another company, if it was being bought by another country, whether it was Amazon or something else, the government would step in? I don't think so. Governor Christie Nome banned the app from South Carolina voters uh, and constituents, said this about Chinese influence, cut 13. The Chinese Communist Party will put its people through hell in order to keep them in bondage. I hope the American people 
are willing to be just a little bit inconvenienced to protect their freedom, because that's really what this is about. It's about giving up an app to not allow our enemies to spy on us and manipulate our children and to use algorithms to influence us. Uh, It's incredibly important that we take action like this. I'm so grateful that other states are taking action and the federal government as well. So I, to me, you got to ban it. And last time when Trump tried to do it, he said the court said he couldn't. So what you need is legislation to pass to do it. Nothing was changed yesterday. Kevin McCarthy says we should ban it. Senator Mark Warner, nothing we heard from Mr. Chu today assuaged any of our worries. Senator Tom Tillis issued a statement demanding all members of Congress stop using TikTok, calling it beyond reckless. Meanwhile, the President of the United States was with a TikToker on TikTok on St. Patrick's Day. Congressman Fluger says this question, do you dis- to, to, uh, to the CEO? Do you disagree with the FBI Director Ray and NSA Director Nakasone when they said that the CCP would have the ability to manipulate data and send it to the United States? TikTok CEO says, no, I don't disagree. They want to have Oracle take all the intel and put it to Texas, put billions of dollars to do it. We're not going to buy it. We shouldn't accept it. Can we possibly wise up as a country? I'm going to take uh, uh, I'm going to take your calls on that one eight six six four zero eight seven six six nine, especially if you're on it. That'll be key. Meanwhile, the president of the United States, as I mentioned, is having a good week. Uh, looks like he said some ill-advised uh, truth socials over, overnight, doing something irresponsible again, talking about violence, death, and destruction. You don't want to do that. Are you seventy-eight years old? He should know better, but evidently he doesn't. So over the weekend, he said death and uh, death and destruction if he's in fact indicted. Meanwhile, if he just left things lie, over the weekend, tactically, it was a brilliant move. He said, I'm going to get arrested on Tuesday. Then the world went crazy. He went to the top of everyone's news feed. Alvin Bragg had all types of pressure. His case is terrible. He goes to bring it forward. It looks like the grand jury is not on board with it. So now he's stuck. He's stuck lashing out at Republicans for asking to know if this is pure politics. We all know it is. But he is stuck. The case is halted. They did not, for the second day, They have, uh, the grand jury has met but not talked about this case. They talked about others. Now his approval rating among Republicans is around 50, is around 80 percent. But among the field of would-be nominees for the Republican nomination, he leads all with 54 percent of the vote. So that, to me, shows a guy on a roll. He's doubling Governor DeSantis, who is not in yet. What I think is also important, this is the week he took on Ron DeSantis and lengthens his lead on Ron DeSantis. That's good. But what you remind when the president goes too far and talks about violence, ill-advised truth socials, whatever, truths, whatever they call them, that makes people say, wow, I remember the drama, the unnecessary drama. And then you have press secretaries responding to that instead of the issues of the day. For the, for the, former, for the current president of the United States, he's been a disaster. Not stepping up at all, as the Mexican president berates us last week, doesn't say a word, defending our country, doesn't say anything as Russia and China get together, not a statement. When the bank records emerge showing that he looks like Biden's are in extensive business with a Chinese government-run energy company, doesn't say a word. When these Bank of America logs come in, he denies they're, they're accurate. And then when he has to speak, he says stuff like this, cut 20. Now, the other drug companies that raise prices faster than inflation. Now, that's all right. We like babies. You don't have to worry about it. It's okay. It's, okay. it's all right. In fact, I like babies better than people. Right. Uh, not a great statement. Uh, here he is. 
Talking about guns. Cut 21. But this builds on other steps you've taken and we've taken, like the most significant gun safety law in 30 years to help keep guns out of the hands of domestic political advisors. So he wants to keep guns out of the hands of domestic political advisors. They had to quickly walk that back. Do you know when they came up with the transcript, they changed it? You're not supposed to do that. When Trump did that a couple of times, people had a fit. You just change stuff because he's a gaffe machine. And lastly, before I take a break and then take some of your calls, the other story that came out does not look good, but it looks accurate. It looks like he's very upset with his number two. So is Democrats. They know she's absolutely awful. This is a story in the New York Post today, and also it was picked up off Reuters. A point of tension in the relationship between the two is that I don't think that the president sees her as somebody who takes anything off of his plate due to her fear of messing up. If he did not think she was capable, he would not have picked her. But it is a question of consistently rising to the occasion. I think the running for re-election is less about her and more about him. But I do think that she and the Democratic bench is a factor. A point of tension in the relationship is that uh, is that basically nobody thinks that she could win an election against Trump. Remember, Chris Whipple in his book about the West Wing, the fight of his life, when she really, really a big kiss, a wet kiss to President Biden, says this. The president vented to a friend about Harris after he got word that her husband, Douglas Elmhoff, uh, Elmhoff, was complaining about the tasks assigned to her, including mitigating migration and pushing for federal voting rights laws. Whipple wrote, Biden was annoyed. He hadn't asked Harris to do anything he wouldn't have done as vice president, and she begged him for the voting rights assignment. Right now, he, together, has 38 percent approval rating. She's got 36 percent approval rating. There's got to be something going on here. Because he should have at least declared to run for re-election already. He was supposed to do it right after the inaugural, excuse me, the State of the Union address. Something's going on. What do you think? one 408 7669 This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Big show. And don't forget, one, uh, don't forget 8 o'clock, Saturday night, One Nation on Fox News Channel. Brian Kilmeade Show. It's Brian Kilmeade. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. First, the bad news. SAP Business AI won't help you generate cubist versions of your family's holiday photos. But it will help you understand which supplier is best to help you roll out your plant-based packaging in Southeast Asia. Or identify the training your junior project manager needs to rise up the ranks. And automate repetitive tasks while you focus on big innovations. So you can be ready for the next opportunity. Revolutionary technology. Real-world results. That's SAP Business AI. so busy, he'll make your head spin. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, then why don't you let your eight-year-old child on TikTok? I have seen these news articles. I would like to address that. My kids live in Singapore, and in Singapore, 
we do not have the under 13 uh, experience. If they lived here in the United States, I'll let them use the under 13 experience. Okay, so you're saying it's because of the country you live in doesn't have the same mechanisms. Is there a reason you don't have the same mechanisms everywhere? Uh, in, in principle, we want to provide you know a good experience for our users in general. We don't we don't want to monetize from people who are under 13. That's an answer to the question, and that's where a lot of that hearing was. Chad, listen on WTBO in Orlando. Hey, Chad. Hey, Brian. Love the show. Second Thank time you. caller. Thank you. Hey, on this TikTok thing, about uh, a year ago, there was this TikTok challenge put out to all these teenagers across the U.S. to go to the coastlines and dig holes in the beaches to see how far down you go before you hit water. And this happened all over the East Coast, West Coast, the Gulf Coast. And not only do we have holes all over our beaches in Florida because the kids want to fill them up, but there was clearly the Chinese government using uh, teenagers as their little army to go out and get information on flood area. I mean, how how much water needed to rise to flood our beaches or our towns. Yeah. I mean, that made absolutely no sense, having thousands of kids go out, dig holes all across our beaches, and to figure out when the water would come in. Put it this way, Chad, it's so easy to figure out. For example, racial unrest. Okay, you got the George Floyd racial unrest. Now, if you're China and you want to continue it, you start planting stories that talking about racial unrest. You could make up different people, put them into news stories and say eyewitnesses say this and blacks and whites are doing this and whites walk down the block and they burn black homes. And you could start doing that. And then you put half the stories real. The other half is made up. And then you wonder about the origins of it. And you'd never really get to the bottom of it. But it just can you continue to show our Achilles heel to another nation. I don't know why we would do it. I also don't want to mix up. People that just have a problem with social media, and that needs to be, that needs to be discussed. I put that in there, but the bigger problem is what they're taking from us along the way. And I cannot believe that Instagram and Facebook and uh, Snapchat can't come up with the same algorithm and have at least an American-based company. Bruce, listening on WSB. Uh, WSB. Hey, Bruce. Hi, this is Bruce in York, Pennsylvania. This is a second-time caller. Thank you for taking Thank my you. call. Um, I don't think that TikTok is going to be banned, not a chance in hell, excuse my language, because the Biden administration uses it to get to our kids. There's no doubt about it in my mind that he will veto any bill that comes up from Congress that outlaws that for the American public. There's no way he's going to give up on that. It's too good of a uh, tool for um, his popularity with the youth. That's my opinion. What do you think about that? Well, the thing he would have cover, if he legitimately understood that this is a risk, he does have cover because I think he's going to get about 90 votes in the Senate. And then the House, of course, it'll pass in the House. So you do that, and then the president will sit there and say, I I can sign it. I have cover. You know, they gave it to me. I signed it. That's obviously the will of the people. We're going to do it. But if he does it by himself through an executive order, that that would be politically perilous, be the right thing to do, but it would be perilous. So and you had people standing up talking about how the algorithm gave people who were depressed the same stories over and over again. Next thing you know, they commit suicide. Cat Comic brought up the fact that they had this dangerous thing about gun, about shootings. Cut nine. That video was posted 41 days ago. As you can see, it is captioned me as F. At the House Energy and Commerce Committee on March 23rd of this year, this video was posted before this hearing was publicly noticed. 
I think that's a very interesting point to raise. But more concerning is the fact that it names this chairwoman by name. Your own community guidelines state that you have a firm stance against enabling violence on or off TikTok. This video has been up for 41 days. It is a direct threat to the chairwoman of this committee, the people in this room, and yet it still remains on the platform. And you expect us to believe that you are capable of maintaining the data security, privacy and security of 150 million Americans where you can't even protect the people in this room? Absolutely true. Great point. Kat Kamek always comes ready to go. Back with your calls in just a moment. Don't move. Brian Kilmeade Show. We're talking about your students, your kids, your neighbors. Shipping can make or break a sale, so optimize how you ship your orders with ShipStation. They make it easy to automate and manage orders no matter how big your business grows. And they might even be able to help reduce shipping and warehouse costs. So optimize and keep up your momentum for growth with ShipStation. Sign up for your free 60-day trial now at ShipStation.com and use the code P-O-D. That's ShipStation.com with the code P-O-D. Information you want. Truth you demand. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. They are asking the Republican Party to keep culture wars out of classrooms. Our children need urgent and aggressive educational solutions. The American Library Association coming out against this Republican proposal. When we talk about progressive values, I can say what my progressive value is, and that is freedom over fascism. Right. Uh, that's a great point. Nothing to do with what we're talking about. But that was uh, Congresswoman uh, AOC. As you know, she was upset that Republicans have proposed a parents' rights bill of five pillars uh, because of the trouble they're having in schools and with teachers are being taught and with uh, inappropriate books and libraries. Yeah, technically they're banning just to put people put books in libraries that are that are in, are uh, uh, inclusive of the people of their ages in which they go. Grammar schools should not have naked pictures of other people. Is that too much to ask? Here's the Parents' Bill of Rights that the Republicans are proposing. Know what's uh, being taught in school. Be concerned directly to education officials. See the school budgets. Protect your child's privacy. Be updated on any violent activity at the school. Uh, That is what the House is proposing. It sounds reasonable. Janine Yass uh, joins us now, education reform advocate and founder of the Yass Prize to Transform Education. Janine, does those uh, principles for parents seem off base? Not at all, Brian. I think that um, parents are, are really the the main response, you know, the, the main provider to the, they're responsible for their own children. They should have the same uh, opportunities that that wealthier parents have to right. send children to the school of their choice. Um, they are held hostage, to quote Betsy DeVos. In public schools, no matter you know what they want to teach, no matter how they want to teach, no matter um, how much money is going to go to the curriculum versus sports versus um, counseling, the parents are completely outside of those decisions. So they should have the freedom, like I'm saying, right. for um, middle class and upper middle class people get to choose if they want to go to religious school. Uh, That's key. It's happening in Arizona. It's happening in Iowa. It's happening in Florida. It's happening in Arkansas. So more and more states are giving school choice. But the money that's going to be given normally to the state is going to be given to the student to make the choice, ideally, like what they're doing in Arizona. 
Uh, Janine, what about your background? You're the founder of the Boys Latin Charter School over in West Philadelphia. So you want to talk about where you're from and, and with the, what you believe? Sure. Um, that was my first step into um, education reform uh, maybe 20 years ago. And what I realized, our, our children were at private schools on the mainland, and I befriended someone by the name of David Hardy, whose children were at the, the same all-boys prep schools, my boys. And I asked him, what is it like in the city? Where would your boys be if they weren't out here in, at this school? And he took me. He showed me what was going on in, in public schools, and we decided to start a charter school together uh, based on classical curriculum for poor African-American children that were stuck in, in the district schools. And what I couldn't believe was how we had to fight for this charter. We were denied this charter for two years. By? By the school district. They had to approve. In Philadelphia. Yes, yes. Um, we were – there was protests. We were stealing their children even though we had a, a line around the block the first day. Stealing we, children and they're signing up to get to your school. Yes. How do they afford it? The public, the, the charter schools are free. They are um, – the, they get their dollars from the school district budget, which is what the fight is about. And um, in Philadelphia, charter schools get between like nine and ten thousand dollars a student now, while the district is um, their per pupil spending is close to twenty three or twenty four million twenty four twenty three twenty four thousand dollars a year per pupil. But the the children leave the the school district schools. They only get $9,000 to go to the charter school, and the money that's left at the table at the district stays in the district, which what I'm trying to advocate for is for more of a funding reform now, for that money to free up. If they want to go to another school, these schools oftentimes have much better outcomes, much more accountability, but they're getting sometimes half of what the district is We getting. had this mom that spoke out just uh, in Minnesota. She was upset that the school, uh, she has, uh, she's black, her husband's white. He couldn't believe their kids coming back from school, just uh, the, how they were treating race relations and inequality and the negative things they were saying about the country. And she was uh, she was blasted for her tone, uh, sidelined and, and and ignored. But she spoke out with us. This is Kofi Monska, a parent. Listen, after reading the contents of this bill, I could not believe it. And I had to speak out because I. Yeah, the content of the bill is just disgusting, and um, it's terribly oppressive and racist. It removes all hope from people of color. It pits kids, groups kids, and pits them against each other. And so, after reading it, I had to, I had to speak out. And she went on. Let's listen. Because this is not what you typically think of as ethnic studies. You think you're going to learn about the beauty of different ethnicities and it's going to provide inspiration. And somehow when we learn about each other's differences, it brings us together and we learn about our common humanity. But that is not what this is. And that's what upset her. So you get a lot of that. People don't like the way the history is being taught about um, about America being run down. Well, there's a lot of uh, subjectivity in civics curriculums around the country. One of the initiatives that my husband and I are doing, we're, um, we're supporting an effort with Sal Khan Academy and the National Constitution Center to come up with an objective civics curriculum that will be available for all high schools, uh, charter schools, private schools, district schools. So uh, that they I could, think Florida's doing that, right? Florida, a, a lot of people are trying to edit out a lot of opinions and a lot of uh, uh, things that have crept their way into the curriculum over the last decade. But I also want to make a point that uh, school choice, 
the the charter school, the first uh, all boys charter school we started, one of the surprises was we got we got a large percentage of gay black men coming into that school to escape the bullying that was going on in the district. Really, so it was it was a refuge for them from the public school. On, on the other side of the issue, where we, we, I was very proud of that. They felt safe there. They're, they, you know, I would. It, it was an opportunity for them to escape a school, not getting indoctrinated um, on one side or the other, but having a freedom to choose where they felt safe. And they were very, um, you know, appreciative of that. So you don't have school choice in Pennsylvania. There are uh, districts that will approve districts. certain charter schools. That it, we had one of the things that we, with our award, we're calling it the Yas Prize, but it's really based on four principles: stop, sustainability, transformation. Um, schools need to be outstanding, but the P in stop is for permissionless because I was tired of waiting for permission. We spent a lot of time, a lot of money filling out applications for charter schools, waiting and not being approved. Because a lot of teachers unions look at you as the enemy. Oh, yes, yes. Because? Well, I'm... You're not unionized. I'm, I'm not the enemy. I'm taking cues from parents, poor yeah. parents, that want opportunities for their children outside of the schools that, you know... But the quite union honestly, fights you every step of the way. Oh, and yes. that's what's fighting here in New York. They got dozens of charter schools paid for, building set, but the teachers unions who uh, are supporting re- almost all Democratic candidates are pushing back against a Democratic governor to give kids, mostly almost all minorities, correct, to give them a chance at a better life. Well, you know, I I think teachers, good teachers, should get paid more money. But my big thing that I'm uncovering now for the last three years is it really is more about a funding reform. And I want to say, where is the money? What's being done with this money? A lot of uh, uh, big city districts... They've increased their administration by a third, some of them. Who does that help? They're losing. And yeah. For Philadelphia, for example, they've lost 16,000 kids over the last five years. They've increased their staff, not necessarily for teachers. So that per-pupil um, expression, it's really not money that's going to the kids. It's going into a lot of, lot of fat, a yeah. lot of bureaucracy that's not affecting the kids' lives. They're, they're, they're rejecting the schools. They're leaving the schools left and right, but they still keep adding on jobs and they right. will never take the budgets down we, by one dollar and by the way we're, we're speaking to janine uh it's yes right correct yeah janine yes now we're talking about charter schools and getting a hold of the curriculum and getting back to civics and fundamental education but here's what we're saying is that teachers are put it should be put on a pedestal in our society i think one way the unions are are becoming the face of the teacher and it may i think it's giving them a misperception with the general public I don't. Th- I think we got to get teachers out there who take more money out of their pocket, care more about their kids uh, than just about any other profession. Why a teacher is spending money on pencils and paper, and a lot of them do when there's there's billions and With billions all the COVID of dollars, money too. billions of dollars in the system that are not going to teachers, that are not going to children. They're going to a, a big administration that people are rejecting those schools. They don't want them anymore, but the they are held harmless. These these budgets. Because if, if every single student left the uh, New York City school district, they were they would still get that money every year guaranteed. They are ha- held yeah, harmless. Yeah, it's insane. It doesn't go with the children. See, just, everywhere you look in society, every time there's an incentive for success, whether it's sanitation or schools, if there's an incentive for success, it always gives you better outcomes. And if there's a competition between charter and public, everybody improves. 
because I want those kids. I, I know people that uh, work in Catholic schools or private schools. They need students. They recruit. They want kids to come. There's a there's a uh, come meet the teacher night, and there's refreshments there, and they have rallies and teach because they're trying to get kids. Guess what? Everybody's got to be better. The kids got to have a good experience. There's got to be a good introduction, and they got to have great outcomes. How would that not be better for the public school? And, and they're doing that, Brian, but with half the money. Half the money. If uh, even states that have scholarship programs, new scholarship program that passed yesterday in Florida, they're going to give uh, students seven seventy five hundred dollars, I believe it is to take that money to a private school yeah. of their choice. But I've been visiting some of our award winners and, and one in, in Florida in particular called Sale Future. He's getting he's going to get this uh, sustainable tuition from the state of Florida, $7,500. If his children stayed in the district of St. Petersburg, Florida, they spend $18,000 per kid. Wow. Where is that $11,000? It's staying at the district even though the children are leaving the district. It's ludicrous. It's crazy. Um, maybe that'll change. I think they're working on something in Florida uh, in particular. But for the most part, private charter school teachers get less than public school teachers? Um, maybe a little less, but they do have to keep their um, – it has to be a competitive salary to be able to to, um, to get quality teachers. Yes, yes. What do you think the big advantage is to a charter school? Uh, charter schools, they are, um, they're able to fire bad teachers. Um, they get rid of teachers that aren't doing their job, right. which is a big assumption that I think we all take for granted when we are in schools that are, are able to do that. You, you know, as a parent, you know right away the first back-to-school night whether the teacher is going to you know, yeah. perform for your child. Um, there's just a lot more accountability. They're able to set um, – there, there could be a charter school for children that are interested in a, like a career path to build or to building construction trades. Um, which a lot of a lot of families are attracted to now because right. having a, like a career path outside of high school, they could get uh, college credits while they're in school. Right. They're much much more flexible and much more um, reacting to what parents want. So tell me about your awards and how to get them. So uh, yesterday we announced our third year application is open now for uh, students, um, parents. Actually, it's really more focused on um, educational innovators that are. Um, out there that need seed money to to expand or to start schools. Our award winner last year was the um, Arizona Autism Charter School. Again, it was sustainable because Arizona has the the money that follows follows a kid school their choice. They don't have a cap on charter schools. Um, Diana, who runs the school, is the mother of an autistic son. Uh, the the op- the options in the public school there were horrendous, and we've all seen that when we go to visit public schools and how they're dealing with that neurodiverse segment. It is archaic, and it is really sad. Diana started the school. She has 700 autistic students in Phoenix wow. now, and she wants to replicate that model in any state that how wants How do you her. get your money? Do you raise it, donations? It's or? from our family foundation. From your foundation. Yes. So yes. if people want to donate to the foundation to allow you to give more awards, could they do that? Sure. Is that how you do it? You usually do. Different? We we would love that. It's right now. It's it's just set up with our um our own philanthropy. Took this direction during COVID was the inspiration for wow. it. Wow. And where what is your foundation? It's it's called the uh, the Oss Foundation. Yeah. Um, it's a Y A S S. Correct. Foundation. Oh, that'd be great. So you got four thousand. You said you uh, identify more than four thousand education innovators uh, who have proven to deliver for their students. So if people if people want to apply, they go to. TheOzPrize.com. 
Great. I'm uh, sorry, YasPrize.org. And how many awardees will, will there eventually be? This year we're going to continue with 64. Wow. And the top award will be a million dollars. And it goes a long way for schools that, that aren't funded properly by their cities and states. And what are your short-term results? Uh, as far as – Have you seen results already? Have you seen quality? Oh, yes. Yes, we're visiting the schools now. Actually, the school that was one of the top award winners is Sale Future. They had one of the, the, the highest increases in math performance in, in Florida. And he's working with kids out of foster care systems like – these providers are working with the toughest kids to educate, too, and they have amazing results. Well, uh, Janine, thanks so much for coming in. Congratulations on your award. Instead of sitting back and saying, what's happened to our schools, you actually took action. And that's fantastic. Great to see you. Thanks for having me. All right, and there's very few uh, issues in our country more, uh, more important than what's happening with education. It's got everybody concerned. All right, you listen to The Brian Kilmeade Show back in a moment. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's The Brian Kilmeade Show. From his mouth to your ears, it's Brian Kilmeade. The council has agreed to exclude male to female transgender athletes who have been through male puberty from female world ranking competitions from March the 31st uh, this year. However, in order to do further research into our transgender eligibility guidelines, we will be establishing a working group. Sebastian Coe, legendary track and field star, now running the international uh, track and field, they call it athletics overseas, saying transgender women should not be competing against men. That's it. It's not segregation. It's not bias. It is not fair. And we're seeing it over and over again. We saw this cycle champion just decide, you know what? Uh, if I'm going, if I'm going to have to compete against transgender, I quit the sport, and you should be quitting the sport because out of frustration, it's not right. Or I, I prefer actually that people stand up and take action. You have more and more people. I mean, I don't know what um, Alex Morgan's thinking, saying it's okay to compete against transgender. I, I, how many you'll have playing against Bulgaria? You'll start losing because you'll have like seven transgenders on the team. Because men are different than women. So this is a new trend in sports, and I hope at every level. You have this Vermont basketball team, for example. This Vermont basketball team decides we're playing against transgender. It's not safe. I will not do it. So they forfeited, and they got kicked out of the league in Vermont. This whole thing is absolutely insane, and it's got to it's gotta stop. Among the people that think it's got to stop, by the way, Caitlyn Jenner, who was obviously the best athlete in the world for – Four to eight years, decathlete. I'm sure at 40-something years old, Caitlyn Jenner could have become a woman and won more gold. Would that have been fair? Of course not. And Caitlyn Jenner doesn't think it's fair. I, I don't. I it, mean, it, it, it's tough like this. She makes your head want to explode because it's so idiotic. You listen to the Brian Kilmeade show. Don't move. News headquarters in New York City. Always seeking solutions, never sowing division. It's Brian Kilmeade. 
Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show, one 408 We come to you from 48th and 6th in Midtown Manhattan, heard around the country, around the world. Raymond Arroyo at the bottom of the hour, Fox News contributor, and Shannon Bream, host of Fox News Sunday, is queuing up. We do have reports now. Uh, so we woke up, last, uh, went to bed last night and heard about strikes on a U.S. base that killed one contractor and injured five other U.S. servicemen. And we reacted back and went after the base in which we thought it came from. These are Iranian proxies, we are told. The attack on our base was from a drone. It's one of those uh, kamikaze drones. Well, then we've just found out that Iran proxy forces launched about seven rockets targeting a U.S. base in northeast Syria. This is retaliation for our retaliation. So the first assessment, there are no casualties and no damage to the base. This is called the Al-Omar oil field. The rocket attacks came after Biden ordered a series of retaliatory strikes, as I just mentioned. So uh, this is time for us to pick it up a little bit. And and I think people have to understand that this is real. This is uh, not just occupying an area. This is where ISIS is. And the last thing we need is backing off and showing weakness. This administration is fantastic doing. I think we got about 900 people there. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by Crunch Fitness. Interested in owning your own business in a growing $30 billion industry? Check out Crunch Fitness at crunch.com. Number three. The World Athletics Council has today taken the decisive action to protect the female category uh, in our sport. uh, And to do so by restricting the participation of transgender and DSD athletes. I have an idea. Uh, let's let women compete against women at all levels of women's sports as track and field does the bold thing and says, I'm banning trans athletes. Not because I don't like them, because it's not fair. Why do people not understand this? Number two. I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to establish, and I, I, I want you to know it's a big deal, the Havanaqua May. I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Thank you. You believe this? That's the president. Uh, that is just one of his many gaffes this week. A tumultuous but great week electorally for President Trump and one of the worst for Joe Biden as he and his woefully inept vice president let everyone down and his approval ratings are reflective of that. Now at 38 percent. Number one. As TikTok at any time provided the Chinese government with either precise GSP information collected from U.S. users or inferences made from that data. That I can give you a straight up no. Huh. There you go. Show Chu. He's the CEO of TikTok. Uh, gotta go. That's the conclusion almost everybody would come to if you were watching both Democrats and Republicans question the CEO yesterday. I know it's popular, but the House Energy and Committee Commerce Committee hearing let everybody know for five and a half hours that China absolutely is capable of and will if their track record is indicative of their future and their aspirations be listening in. Shannon Bream joins us now. Uh, Shannon's Fox News Sunday. She's going to tell us all about her guest. Shannon, first, your reaction to what's going on in Syria. I mean, I was just reminded of when President Trump was uh, hosting President Xi. Remember this in Mar-a-Lago? I think it was back in 2017. They're sitting there having dessert, and we start dropping attacks on Syria. That region has been a mess. It it goes back and forth. I mean, there is a trading of, um, I don't want to say attacks, but, you know, push back and forth there quite a bit. Now, we haven't seen as much recently, but the Pentagon says they are actually there because we're worried about ISIS resurging. And is this part of that? Um, They assess that this is an Iranian um, 
you know, associated drone or attack on us. And now it appears there's um, some back and forth underway. So I'm glad that we have uh, already the chairman of the House Foreign Affairs Committee booked with us, Mike McCall, on Sunday, because we're going to have a lot to talk about. Yeah, a couple of things. Assess the situation, find out what their mission is, make it clear. But I sense that this administration, when pushed, gets out. That's the message they got from Afghanistan, a disaster. We got Ukraine from that, I would I would uh, surmise. And now if we look at uh, ISIS in that area, we see Syria reestablish relations with Saudi Arabia this week, which is interesting. One week after they Saudi Arabia reestablished with Iran and these Iranian, prox- Iranian proxies hitting us in Syria, I believe somehow it's related. I mean, you can only assume that there are things going on there. There, You know, with their um, assessment of of their nuclear program, the external assessment of the program, I mean, there are real concerns that we're reaching a place of conflict. Now, this morning, John Kirby's out there saying we don't want any conflict with Iran. We don't want any kind of dust up with them. We don't want any kind of incursions with them. Um, So you've got to think that they're they're going to be um, putting a lot of bait out there. They want us to take it, and it's a very delicate balance for defending the men and women that we have there for a good reason um, and not uh, letting anything escalate to the point that Iran probably would want it to. So just a little of the give and take that happened on TikTok yesterday. Here is the CEO going at it with Congressman Gus Villarakis of Florida. Cut eight. Mr. Chu, please. Your technology is literally leading to death. Mr. Chu, yes or no? Do you have full responsibility for your algorithms used by TikTok to prioritize content to its users? Yes or no, please. Uh, Congressman, I would just like to, if respectfully, if you don't mind, I would just like to start by saying it's devastating to hear about the news of, yes. as a yes. father myself, this is Sir, tragic. yes or no. I'll repeat the question. Do you have full responsibility over the algorithms used by TikTok to prioritize content to its users? Yes or no, please. Uh, Congressman, we, we do take these issues very yeah, seriously. Yeah, yes or no. And we do provide resources for anyone who types in anything that is suicide. Sir, yes or no? I see you're not willing to answer the question. Because a family got up and said, from Long Island and said, hey, you know what? Uh, My kids killed themselves. They were on that. uh, They were looking up things like that. They got one uh, hit after another on the algorithm, and they end up committing suicide. Yeah, I mean, the parents, it is absolutely devastating because these are real lives. So when you have lawmakers saying, hey, listen, the um, technology that you have, your company is leading to people dying by choice, taking their lives, um, that people are being driven to horrific things. I don't think there's anything more powerful than hearing from grieving parents because there's nothing that you can say that will bring their child back. And, man, these lawmakers on both sides of the aisle, you know few things that they have bipartisan agreement on here in Washington, but the threat of China and the opposition to TikTok uh, is very real, and it comes from both sides. So a couple of things. Now we have a situation where when outlines, you saw people like Senator Warner, Democrat. You see people like Linda, uh, Marco Rubio, we guest a little later, later on the show. Uh, you see people like uh, Dan Crenshaw and uh, President Trump and others try to ban TikTok. And others say, you don't want to do that. You're going to alienate the, the younger portion of our country, mm-hmm. you have 150 million people there, 8 billion users around the world. And when President Trump tried to uh, tried to ban it, right. he got stopped by the courts. Now I understand the only way to do it is to have bipartisan legislation come forward. That could do it. But the question is, would the president sign it? 
Yeah, I mean, that's a great question because um, there is going to be a ton of pressure, and obviously we've got to manage our overall relationship with China. But look at India. They're a major player in the world. They've got billions of people there, and they said no TikTok here. I mean, that's a devastating market for TikTok to lose. They don't want to use the U.S. market, and they're going to take every opportunity they can. What does our president always say? What does the White House always say? We want to be in competition with China, but we don't want to be in conflict with China. So it'll be interesting to see if the White House assesses getting rid of TikTok is more of a conflict issue or a competition issue. But the fact is, I mean, we're giving them, um, you know, just entree into our data, into our kids' minds and hearts and lives and adults who are using this too. Um, and, and we have to see it for the threat that it is. I had um, Senator Mark Warner, who's a Democrat who chairs the Senate Intel Committee on. Late last year, we were talking about this. And I said, you know, President Trump tried to do this and was raising the alarm about TikTok and about China. And you guys, everybody was so hard on him. Now, Warner has been hard on China for a long time. And I said, you know, was he blown off and people didn't listen to him about TikTok and these other threats simply because it was Donald Trump and he was a Republican president? And Warner seemed to suggest like, huh, you know, for some people, that's actually what happened. So they're now in agreement, though. And I can't wait to hear your interview with Senator Rubio because he's not a fan of the Warner legislation. There are different pieces. Um, you know, some of the Rubio camps say what the Warner legislation does doesn't actually ban TikTok. So I can't wait for your interview. Yeah, I mean, I got uh, they they alerted me to that too. One thing they say is we want the Texas plan, where we send all the intelligence to Oracle in Texas, but that still opens up a back door and allows them to continue to access because anything that's Chinese owned, ByteDance is shown, they have to be uh, they mm-hmm. have to allow access from the Chinese yep. government. And how about this, Shannon? The Chinese government came out and says we are against a forced sale. That was President Biden's solution. <laughs> so we right. know they're involved, and th- he couldn't answer that question. You know, will uh, is ByteDance open to what the Chinese government wants? Because we're going to we'll guard your privacy. Because that's not answering the question. We watched it going back and forth for a while. So, um, we'll see. Uh, we'll see. I think that app. I I believe it's going to be toast. And I think that a lot of parents who saw that will probably step up and tell their kids they're not going to do it. How about the fact that there's limitations in Singapore that prevents the CEO's kids from doing it, mm-hmm. but our kids can do that? Isn't that funny? Um. Not in funny haha way, uh, but remember there's also, if you remember, we talked about this around the Super Bowl that um, GOP Senator Josh Hawley was talking about putting limits on certain social media, age limits and that kind of thing. And he said, parents actually want us to do this. Like, make the feds the bad guys. Be like, these mean people in Washington, you know, they're the ones who got rid of your TikTok or they're the ones who are putting the limits on Twitter and your age and when you can use it. Hawley's like, parents want us to do this so that they can point the finger at somebody else. And he's like, let's give them the tools. So there's definitely a growing awareness and actual legislative momentum on the Hill on, you know, a number of these fronts. But, I mean, forcing a company to sell, you know, whether that's going to work or not, I mean, it would have to be a leveraged pressure, I think, kind of thing. You know, if TikTok knows they're going to lose 150 million customers here in the U.S. and the only way to keep them is a clean sale that everybody agrees to, we'll see if they're going to be willing to do that. And what are the contours of that deal? So I want to move on and talk about President Trump. We thought he was going to be arrested Tuesday. He said so. All pressure on grand jury. If something happened behind the scenes uh, uh, with Shannon Bream to make us think that the uh, grand jury is not going to return a indictment. So therefore, you have the, the 39-year-old district attorney lashing out at Republicans for asking for him to testify because it seems like a political play. Nobody I know on any channel really thinks that Alvin Bragg has a strong case to make precedent and make history. I didn't get your legal take on this. 
Well, and I think you're hearing it from the left and the right. I mean, there are a lot of cases that the former president is facing, the Georgia special grand jury, the two big federal you know, special counsel investigations that we know about. So a lot of people left and right feel like this New York, this Manhattan case is the weakest. And so they're worried if it gets brought and there is no conviction that, you know, former President Trump's going to say this was nothing but politics and he's going to have a good argument. So I think after the testimony of Robert Costello and I think after this 2018 letter that's, you know, allegedly from Michael Cohen. When those things have um, surfaced this week, it seems like it's really caused some consternation. We can't know. Grand juries are secret, but they didn't meet two days this week. So you got to wonder of the impact of that Costello testimony and whether that makes an indictment less likely. So this guy Corcoran, who represents the president as it relates to obstruction charges with the Mar-a-Lago documents, he was told by a judge, two of which uh, two of the three judges, uh, that you have to t- testify, break attorney-client privilege, and testify in front of a grand jury. First off, you're the lawyer, but I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. So if I'm dealing with you, Shannon, and they feel as though you, you have some information on me because I opened up to you, you could be forced to testify against your client? No. But if they think that the attorney took part in committing a crime, that's that's what they're going to argue, that he may have taken part in actually committing the crime that they're trying to investigate. That's different than somebody comes to you like, hey, I killed somebody. I need some representation. Great. I'm a, your attorney. I don't tell people that. I defend you. And we put together a defense plan. But if you know, I, I say to you like, hey, come help me commit this crime, um, you happen to be my attorney also, um, that is something where the court will say you can pierce that relationship. And it, and it looks like that's the argument DOJ has successfully made in this case. So here is John Heilman on the fact that the Corcoran's got to go down there. Cut 25. Over the course of the week, we now learn that the grand jury that the special counsel has convened in Washington, D.C., believes so strongly and has convinced a judge that there's such credible evidence that Donald Trump has committed a crime that sits right up against obstruction of justice that involves him lying to his own lawyer, that they have gotten a judge to agree that the lawyer must testify in a hearing where he's going to have to break Attorney-client privilege, that is potentially, if you think as many people do, that in the documents case, that the obstruction of justice charges are the ones that are the ones that are most likely to stick to Trump. You know, the documents, okay, Joe Biden had some documents, Mike Pence had some documents, Al Gore had some documents. The thing that that, that case has gotten muddied by politics, but the obstruction charges in that case are very powerful. And now it seems as though the special counsel is homing in on those and has evidence that's so powerful that a, that a judge has now ordered Trump's lawyer to come before him right. and break attorney-client wow. privilege. That is Today. a sign that that case is getting very close to an indictment. And I think everyone who's following all of these cases looks at this hearing today as a sign that that this may be like, as I say, the thing that history looks back on. This is the one that matters more politically, matters more legally, matters more to Trump's future than anything going on in Manhattan today. Is that an overstatement? No, I think yeah, I do think some in some ways it can be a little bit hyperbolic, but I do think that federal cases are a bigger problem for the for the former president potentially. But, you know, Trump's team will argue when you have the attorney testify, their argument is it means you don't have anything on the merits. When you start going after legal counsel, that shows that the case itself is weak. Of course, that's going to want that, that's going to be how they're going to want to characterize it. Um, you know, it's a normal progression in a case, and and courts do allow you to pierce the attorney-client privilege if you have um, exceptions like this. Like if there is something that, like I said, the attorney may have been involved in something that was allegedly illegal himself or herself. So, you know, I mean, it'll be interesting to see what comes out of this. 
um, and I do think that the president's legal team is probably more rightly focused on the federal than the Manhattan. Yeah, I would think. But I also think that obstruction of justice, I don't know, you held in a Corvette, you held documents in a Corvette for 20 years. How, how do I know how it got I mean, there? I, who I knows, do who knows how that could be an obstruction? I don't know what those documents say. Yeah, and I do think that that's going to be difficult for the DOJ because you do have a current president who has had documents found in multiple locations, and that's going to have to weigh heavily on the attorney general when they start to move forward. Shannon, real quick, who's on your show? Uh, House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Mike McCall will have a lot of foreign policy to discuss. We've got uh, Johnson Turley, Britt Hume, and Trey Gowdy to talk about the Manhattan case, too. And you're going to be on Most Important. Shannon Bream, thanks. A talk show that's real. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. Let's go out to Frank. Listen on WABC. Hey, Frank. Yes, uh, Brian. How are you? Good. What's on your mind? Yeah, I'm just wondering. This uh, thing with, uh, and I don't call it a thing because it's really a, uh, uh, it's not a wild goose hunt chase. It's really a, a situation where there's separation of powers under the three branches of government, and it seems that at the local level of government, which would be uh, New York City, Manhattan District Attorney's Office, D.A. Braggs is uh, really uh, dragging this on too much, and uh, I have never seen a situation where Congress is being uh, brought into a city government involving a, a case yeah. that they're and, and already claiming. I hear what you're saying, Frank, and that's what Bragg is saying. But the problem problem is he made it a federal issue. He's trying to make himself a national issue, and he's a, he works for a city. And when Congress gets involved because they made it a national issue, they say, well, hands off my case. Your case, you're trying to become a national name on the backs of this, on the, the American Republic. So I have no problem with Alvin Bragg being challenged. I don't know what the hell he's doing, but he's not prosecuting crime. He's going after political enemies. We all should be embarrassed for him. And he should back off while he still has a degree of credibility left. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. Hey, welcome back, everybody. My privilege to have with us in studio. If you're watching Fox Nation, you recognize him. Raymond Arroyo, uh, Fox News contributor and author of The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alba Edison. A lot of people, there's a big push to say Thomas Edison overrated. Yes. Uh, and you felt as though we have to rein that in. Well, we have to rein that in a little bit. Look, like, what did he actually do? Okay. Well, my story focuses on him as a young boy. Okay. Right. And it's a turnabout tale, a crisis point where a decision was made, Brian. We all have these moments. But I think young people need to be aware. Obstacles are your pathway to success. Often, it's the right. way to open up your destiny. Edison was thrown out of school at eight years old, told he couldn't be taught and was addle-brained. His mother homeschooled him. But he was deaf, right? Made, he was deaf. deaf. By 12, he's deaf. I mean, in the very idea that the guy created the things we're talking on, the microphone, the telephone receiver, the, the, the uh, alkaline battery, which Lipo? became the lithium. He perfected the light bulb. All of these – and the phonograph, his great invention, the phonograph. But remember, all of these things so – So that's all he did is invent movies – Movie uh, camera. The motion picture camera. Did he get uh, AC or DC? He well, he was the wrong side of that debate. Tesla had the, the two-way current. Edison only wanted the one-way, which made no sense because he created four-way messaging on telegraphs. Right. So it, it, it's kind of an odd debate. 
But look, he was an innovator. He was a self-made man. you got to give him props for that. It's a great American story we shouldn't lose. Right, and you're not losing. I'm being sarcastic. I mean, it's unbelievable how much one man can do. Then he starts his own theater company. Yeah. No, theater company. It's a movie company. company. Yeah. Movie company, recording company. Remember, Hollywood was created because Edison was on the East Coast. So everybody else went far west to try to escape his patents. They were trying to get away from his movie camera patents. That's really how Hollywood began. That's why they ended up on the far west coast. Right, and w- where are they now? Are they still out there? Because I'm, well, I haven't been keeping in track. I, I think they're mostly in Canada yeah. and uh, Yeah, which is crazy because they tax so high, people don't even shoot <laughs> movies out there anymore. No, no they can't. All right, so, so we, we'll talk about that, uh, Raymond. So this is your latest one, The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, and it's, it's guilt to what age? Well, it's really 4 to 104. I've had adults write me and tell me how moving it is. It is about a mother taking the care when the rest of the world said this kid was written off not worth anything. His own father said he was a dunce. And I found this quote. It was in one of these big biographies. And it said from Edison, my mother was the making of me. She let me follow my bent. And but for her faith in me at a crisis point in my life, I might never have been an inventor. So I started investigating this story. That's the focus of not only this turnabout tale, but each of them that will follow. Great lives, great American lives at crisis points and how they got through them. And uh, look, I think he probably had ADHD, Brian. That's what a lot of biographers now think. You know, he couldn't focus on one thing. He never slept. He, he could hyper-focus on, on projects when needed. Um, again, the liabilities, the rest of the world sees this as liabilities. To Edison, they were blessings that facilitated the greatest inventions ever devised, and some we are still beneficiaries of. And also, I, I told you I went out to do some with the Ford Museum. Yeah. And right there is the first is Thomas Edison mentored Henry Ford. That's exactly right. In fact, if you go to the Edison Labs in West Orange, there's a portrait of Henry Ford, not one, but about four or five. They were very close, and I didn't realize this. Edison created the first electric car, and Henry Ford said, it's too much to replicate this damn thing. We can't do it. So they stopped production. But it was invented at the turn of the century. I think it's 1920. All right. So let's let's talk about. So we'll talk about that, Raymond. Um, we'll also talk about another invention, and that is TikTok. Oh, we gosh. saw what happened yesterday. The fiery exchanges that were taking place with the CEO, and I don't think necessarily he wasn't prepared. He didn't have a good story to tell. Oh, His yeah. story is he cannot actually say that China's not going to get. All of our information. He cannot actually say that they can manipulate the news that comes through TikTok. And China kind of outed him by making a statement uh, at the hearings (laughs) by saying that we don't like the idea. We will not approve any selling of bite dance. Really, besides that, do they have anything to do with this? Yeah, well, he was doing his own bite dance during that hearing. He was cha-chaing all over the floor. He evaded every question. Uh, Look, we know. I thought... Years ago, Brian, that Mike Pompeo may have been a little over the top when he said, probably three or four years ago, TikTok is a menace. It's a way to gain all of our information. And it's it's really – it's destroying your, 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 your devices. People ignored him. He was right. Pompeo was so right about this. He saw it coming. But the way they do it, it's basically malware. It eats into all of your files. It can track everyone you're in touch with. I've had people tell me in the in the security area that if you have a phone that's had a TikTok app on it, you should toss the phone and get a new one. It's that pervasive and that profound. I think, look, I'm sorry, even if it is, let's say it's not Chinese owned and not Chinese controlled. 
the crap challenges that they are making our children do that are self-destructive, whether they involve drugs or stealing Kias, these are meant to do, degrade and erode the fabric of America. I think it's a horrible app, no matter how you look at it. But the fact that they're spying on us, it should be banned. Could you add that element to it. Then you have the social media conversation and then algorithms. It could be mimicked. Maybe Instagram's getting close. Yeah. But the one thing they're saying is, for example, if a third of people under 30 are getting their news from TikTok, and let's say we all of a sudden start seeing certain stories in our feed that talk about how Taiwan really should be a part of China and how to, how the Russia-China relationship is really stronger than the U.S., how the U.S. is really a racist society that can never come together. It's a failed experiment that's coming apart, and they bring up stories that might be authentic but give them more uh, more play than they deserve, then all of a sudden those same people who have been brainwashed by their green agenda mm. will be brainwashed by the China agenda and not even know it. There's no doubt. They're in control of this app in all of its manifestations. And look, the United States government was so concerned about Facebook messaging during and Facebook news during a campaign – why the utter ignorance of TikTok? Why not the same level of concern about a foreign-owned entity that is on 150 million American devices in 150 million American ears and eyes and hearts? I'm sorry. Uh, you and I know the power yeah. of media, Brian. When you have something like this that kids aren't on for an hour a day, they're not just watching Fox and Friends for an hour or two hours. They're on this thing all day long as they travel in between meals. It's how they communicate. I'm sorry. We need to watch this closely. And the Chinese should have no ownership and no control of it. And until they do, it should be banned. And I, I would ban it unless they rank me as the most powerful man in media. Then I'll be <laughs> saying, wait, this might be really important. Uh, TikTok host extraordinaire, Brian Kilme. Well, then we'll yeah, consider. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, this is evidently 5 million Americans with some type of business off TikTok. To me, that could be like MySpace. You could say, yeah. I got to take that business model and I'm going to have to go elsewhere. Uh, Dean uh, Nasca, it's tragically, son committed suicide because of the algorithm that pumped him the information that made him think he had nothing to live for. Cut 11. He's not concerned with anything of dealing with this. His concern is with China. This doesn't scare him. China scares him. So he's not going to modify his behavior because there isn't really a threat here. His, here's his wife, cut 10. I would be happy with that. But uh, if that's not going to happen, I would just like to see uh, mainly the, the stopping um, of, of promoting these types of videos that my son was getting. It's, it was horrific. And, um, yeah. And it's obviously happening to a lot of other children as well. So uh, obviously there's social media element of it. The algorithms that keep pumping you what, you what they think that you want to click on that keeps you on there longer, right. which sells their advertising. And, you know, I guess Instagram is catching up. But in the big picture, he could not say their Texas project was going to cost him like $5 billion to give everything to Oracle. It still would have a backdoor to China. Brian. So forget a, it. It's done. A friend of mine who's a designer said it is designed to be addictive. They, they, they find what sets off the chemicals in young people's minds, the length of the video, the way they begin, the way they end. It's all meant to keep you on the hook. And I'm sorry. Uh, your heart breaks for those poor parents. Yes, they're feeding these kids not only destructive messages, depressing messages, urging them to kill themselves, but on top of it, these very dangerous uh, items, challenges that where they're having to swallow, uh, you know, uh, 
radiator fluid or they're, you know, jumping off of ledges. This is crazy. It's madness. We should stop this. It should be stopped. It's an extra. This isn't water or eggs or, or the air we breathe. We can do without TikTok. All we right. have alternatives. I, I, I believe so, too. Uh, so Senator Tim Scott, it looks like he's going to get into this race. Mm-hmm. This week is long for me for a lot of things. Number one, Trump got ahead of this would-be indictment, I believe, brilliant, uh, brilliantly. But, of course, he's overstepping it with some violent rhetoric today, overwhelming his message and making himself the negative story rather than Alvin Bragg. Uh, who was way over his skis. Yep. But I thought Tim Scott put it best yesterday when asked between the running, uh, the barbs between DeSantis and Trump. Listen to his take and tell me, Raymond Arroyo, if you think that this could be long-lasting. Cut okay. 26. You know, one of the things I'd simply say is that red-on-red violence, so to speak, is something that the mass media enjoys. The road to socialism runs right through a divided Republican Party. So one thing we should do is make sure we keep our focus on the actual problem. That is President Biden. You think about D.A. Bragg from a local perspective. Here's a person who doesn't want to enforce any of the laws anywhere. Violent criminals running rampant. You see rapes are up significantly. Murders are up. Homicides, uh, carjackings, all up, up, up. The only thing he wants to do, it appears to me, is weaponize the law against his political enemies. So if he is he saying back off, cease and desist, is that going to be possible? It's the old Reagan doctrine. You don't speak ill of another Republican. I mean, yes. But look, DeSantis was employing the Michael Corleone hustle here. You know, he he was he was defending Trump. But within it was the shiv about, you know, well, I don't know anything about paying off porn stars. But Alvin Bragg's going too far here. And that, you know, Trump gets his dander up and then goes on the attack. Look. It, they're going to go. They're going to have the grudge match. It's going to happen, Brian. It's the nature of a primary. Uh, Reagan also did it with Ford. You know, I know he has the line, but let's face it. They kill, They beat each other up. This will happen. The question is, whoever wins, that person, and this is going to be the big challenge for both of them, that person will have to embrace whoever wins and move as one and unify the party. Otherwise, Biden-Harris is going to walk and saunter into the White House. What I did is I knew you were coming. You're going to go there. So I want to make a list of every time Trump lost and then moved on. Okay, wait a second. There's nothing on that list. So if he's he's a counterpuncher and a fighter. It's what he does. But but when the fight, when the final bell rings, does he know it? Well, I'll I'll tell you this. I don't know if he knows it. But (laughs) the most important thing for Ron DeSantis, and Ron is a smart guy, so he'll figure this out. What you don't want to do is step into the Jeb Bush branding. Remember, Trump came out and said, Jeb Bush, you're low energy. What does he do? He comes out and over a series of weeks, he looks like he's low energy. Ron DeSantis, he calls him Ron DeSanctimonious. What does DeSantis do this week? Wag his finger and moralize at Donald Trump. You don't fall into the pattern. Do your own act. Create your own brand and vision. I worry that he's stepping into the tar pits here of Donald Trump. That uh, could be a problem for him. Yet, and other people say, "Why are you waiting so long to fight back?" You know. Yeah. So, well, the, you know, it's a big story today in the Washington Post. Does anyone know how to fight on the Republican side? How to fight Trump? Yeah. Then back to 2016. Has anyone been effective? Well, no. <laughs> the short answer is right. no. And it's not like Joe Biden beat him. They just voted against Trump. No, and I would have thought a woman could do it. But look, Carly Fiorina, she was roadkill. I mean, he destroyed her, made fun of her Look appearance. at that face. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know. So, look, Trump is his own 
It's his own aura. It's his own atmosphere. But you walk into that arena and that atmosphere at your own peril. Create your own. Create your own uh, area where people can gather and live. And then maybe you can create a counter biosphere, if you will, apart from Trump that then will have to meld with the MAGA people. But we'll see. Raymond Arroyo, political consultant. By the oh, way, yeah, what Joe Biden said, we should have to worry about political consultant. He had an interesting gaffe yesterday. Uh, the unexpected light of Thomas Alva Edison. Uh, Raymond, you have a r- time for a few more minutes? Yeah. Oh, I'm here. Okay, I'm here. Great. And then you're going to join me uh, Saturday night at 8 o'clock, right? You bet. We're doing the news duel. All right. Yeah. yeah. And pick it up. Where do we get the book, by the way? Oh, you get the book. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, anywhere. I'm also in the Villages on Saturday, signing books at 2 o'clock. Jacksonville at San Marcos Books on Sunday. And New Orleans on Monday. And the Reagan Library next week on Wednesday. Wow. Uh, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll send a member of my family to come see you on uh, Monday. I, I, yeah, come on down. Uh, right. I, I think that might be good. I might even be able to give him dinner. Right. <laughs> well, at least a free book. Or a free Kevlar five, vest. Five, yeah, that's <laughs> true. Being in New Orleans. Murder capital of the world. Yes. Uh, that you don't sorry. see that in the sign, Welcome to New Orleans. Well, you might soon. <laughs> Back in a moment. Educating. Entertaining. Enlightening. You're with Brian Kilmeade. The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. But this builds on other steps you've taken and we've taken, like the most significant gun safety law in 30 years to help keep guns out of the hands. Help keep guns out of the hands of domestic political advisors. Keep guns out of the hands of domestic political advisors like Karl Rove and David Axelrod. We have to we have to disarm them. Guess who's here? Raymond Arroyo's here. His book, The Unexpected Light of Thomas Alva Edison, is out for kids. Raymond, I mean, it's unbelievable. He, you know what? Never never let a gaffe go unsaid when you're Joe Biden. I, the other day he did a, a history, women's history event. And in the middle of it, he said, you know, my sister said that I, I signed the – well, look, I, 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 I always signed the bill by uh, the Women's Advisory Act myself with my own paw. I literally don't know what he was saying. I, 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 I had to rewind it four times. He meant I signed and wrote the women, the Violence Against Women's Act with my own paw. We really need a full-time translator or at least closed caption beneath everything he says. He's just losing all the musculature of his mouth. It's just sad at you know, this point. You know, I think part of it has to do with he, he keeps replacing his teeth and, stretch, and stretching his face. He looks nothing like the same person, right? I mean, it looks like he's renting his teeth daily. And he's got to pay the fee or else they return him. It's very sad. Or he it's sends him out sad. to be cleaned. Here's a, here's a little here's, – here's another great analysis. Not more. You're not going to torture me with more Biden in the Cut morning, 20. are you? Oh. Drug companies that raise prices faster than inflation. Not, that's all right. We like babies. You don't have to worry about it. So it's okay. It's all right. In fact, I like babies better than people. Well – Spoken like a true devout Catholic. He always says he is. You know, I I like babies more than people. Meaning, babies are not people. This is an interesting thing. It's you see, you get you get revelations. I tell people, listen closely. I know you're laughing, but if you listen closely, 
You get far more than you bargained for, and it's a little creepy. I like babies more than people. No, you don't. Or you wouldn't be transporting people to get rid of their babies cross state lines. Using your analysis, it made me realize I have an answer to my big question. When President Xi gets together with President Putin and decides they're going to reorder the world, I'm wondering, why didn't I hear from our president? Now I know. Yeah. Here's more to make me feel worse about my country. First, I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to establish the, and I, I want you to know it's a big deal, the Havanaqua May. I, I'm, I'm having trouble. Thank you. I got it. They're going to have to use the Antiquities Act to get him out of office. I mean, he's, de- he's decomposing before our eyes. But the, the worst thing, it, and it does break, there's a part of me as a human being, it breaks my heart. And look, we've all had elder relatives, and we may get there, God willing. But when you watch him say, at some point he's speaking, and in the middle of the line, Brian, he just goes, I- I'm, I- I'm in trouble. This is sad. Right. This is a heartbreaker. I mean, he needs a life alert button where when he runs out of syntax, he just presses that and Jilly comes out and says the rest of the line for him. Good idea, Raymond. All right. We're going to try to market that. From the Fox News Radio Studios in Midtown Manhattan, it's the fastest growing radio talk show. Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Uh, welcome to the latest moment of the Brian Kilmeade Show, 48th and 6. Uh, we come to you every single day, but we're heard around the country, around the world. We do we cover the issues that matter most. Uh, waiting in the wing, Senator Marco Rubio. If there's anyone who knows more about what's going on with TikTok and is more concerned, I don't know who it is. But are we prepared as a country to stand up to 150 million users and let them know this is what you got to do? It's in our best interest. It was clear yesterday. I know many of you work during the day. I know you can't watch C-SPAN because we didn't cover it all. Uh, Every day you might watch it over the weekend when it's replayed, but it was riveting because the CEO of TikTok has no answers to the questions that matter most. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. The World Athletics Council has today taken the decisive action to protect the female category uh, in our sport uh, and to do so by restricting the participation of transgender and DSD athletes. Uh, that's Sebastian Cole, legendary track star, now running international track called Athletics, the IAAF. And guess what? Uh, they have an idea. They should let women compete against women and men compete against men. They're going to ban trans athletes from competing. Thank goodness. Why does everyone at every level not follow in that path? Number two. I'm proud to use my authority under the Antiquities Act to establish, and I, I, I want you to know it's a big deal, the uh, Havanaqua May, I'm I'm having trouble. Oh, my. Thank you. 2024, a tumultuous but great week for President Trump uh, politically, but a worse one for President Biden. He was either invisible, and when he did emerge, he was so inept, it's scary, until you watch his vice president not being able to salute women on Women's History Month. Number one. As TikTok at any time provided the Chinese government with either precise GSP information collected from U.S. users or inferences made from that data. That I can give you a straight up no. 
Got to go. That's the conclusion any clear-thinking American would conclude after watching any of the TikTok hearings yesterday in front of the House Energy and Commerce Committee. It's a big deal, I know, but we can't keep giving China the tools for our own demise. Senator Marco Rubio, vice chairman of the Senate uh, on the Select Committee on Intelligence, senior member of Foreign Relations and Appropriations. Uh, Welcome, Senator. Hey, thank you for having me back on. Senator, i got to just talk to you about uh, the news that I've been outlining we've been doing since Fox & Friends this morning, and that's Last night we found out there was a kamikaze drone hit on one of our bases. It killed a contractor, wounded five of our guys. We hit back uh, and wounded, I think, killed eight of them. And there's been a retaliatory strike at our base in uh, in Syria. What else can you tell us? Well, listen, there, and this is one of the arguments we've been having this week during this whole – we've been having this AUMF debate about getting rid of the 2003 – what people know as the Iraq War Authorization the problem with that is, is that is the only authority that exists under the War Powers Act for presidents to take action against uh, Iran in that country. The, this, this is IRGC. The, the, the IRGC in Iran is either directly through, or through their proxies, these other groups that are under their control, targeting Americans in Syria, in Iraq. They operate out of that area, and that's what we're seeing, and that's what we're seeing right now. And, and um, you know, this is a long time coming. And I think you're going to continue to see this, and, and we're going to have to have the ability to go after these guys. And you can't just do that one off. You have to persistently have a, you know, insight into what's going on on the ground, or you don't know where they are and where to hit them. So are you saying that because they might re- rescind the permission, uh, the, uh, the permission to attack in Iraq, that they might, we might not be able to have permission to defend ourselves in Syria? Well, let me tell you, I think the War Powers Act is unconstitutional. I think presidents always have the power to act in the defense of our country. And Congress's job is to – Congress doesn't like the president waging a war or military operations. Congress can cut off the money for it. But I don't think the president needs to go to Congress for pre-approval to defend our country. And that's what they're going to argue. The problem with it is that that's – you know, these guys in Iran are not American constitutional scholars. <laughs> I mean, what they read in the newspaper is that the U.S. – Congress wants our military to no longer operate. That's how they interpret it. And so to them, this is prime, a prime moment to strike. You know, when America seems to be on the retreat anyway, let's kill a few more of them, and then they'll really want to get out of here. What really bothers me is I can almost hear uh, the, the rhetoric already. Oh, why are we there to begin with? We don't have a reason to be there. This is not our fight. They don't fully understand the war on terror doesn't stop because we want it to. We need a window on that region. We need to be a player in that area. And the only way to do it is to have a presence. Well, if we leave, if we were to get up and leave, for example, and I'm not saying we need to send like you know, massive numbers of ground troops, but we weren't on the ground there, then what you would have happen is Iran would basically take over yep. Iraq and Syria. They would have all those and they would use those places as launching pads to attack America and to attack Israel and other parts of the region and continue to push us out. And that's the world we're going towards. And Iran becomes the dominant power in the Middle East. China dominates Asia and is number one, and eventually the world becoming the most powerful country. And Russia, basically, with a sphere of influence reaching throughout Eastern Europe. That is the world that, 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 that those three countries working together envision. And we got to decide whether that's good or bad for America. I think that's bad for America. Uh, 100%. So... Uh, Marco Rubio, our guest, Senator, I'm sure you noticed that Saudi Arabia had a reproachment with Iran. And I'm sure you noticed that uh, Iran had a reproachment with UAE. And I'm sure you noticed that Saudi Arabia and Syria are reestablishing relations. What, why, are we, uh, why are we just standing by watching this? Are we not playing a role? Do we not finance a State Department? 
okay, look, I've had problems with the Saudis. I don't think, you know, I don't think they have to be chopping people up in consulates and stuff like that around the world. That said, we have to be strategic about how we conduct foreign relations. So the Saudis are saying to themselves, we can't count on the U.S. We certainly can't count on Biden. So, and, and, you know, Iran is a real threat to us. So we don't want to be the first country they attack. Like, we don't want to be the first ones that Iran comes after. So let's try to cut a deal with them to buy ourselves time. It is almost sort of reminiscent of the deal that the Soviets cut with the Nazis. Uh, it ended up in war anyway, but it, it, they thought it would buy them some time. And that's how they view it. And it all links back to the fact that they just do not believe that the U.S. is reliable. And that, you know, listen, Congress cut off funding for Saudi Arabia's ability to go after the Houthis that were attacking them. I mean, the Houthis were launching these Iranian missiles into Saudi Arabia trying to kill members of the royal family. And the U.S. is like, well, we don't like, you know, and members of Congress, by the way, in both parties were responsible for this, decided we want to cut them off. We don't want to give them any more precision weapons to fight back. So then, you know, but then two years later, we go to Saudi Arabia and say, hey, can you guys help us with Ukraine? And they're like, well, you wouldn't help us with our problem. Now you want us to help you with some other country's problem. The answer is no. So there's a lot of bitterness there in that relationship. Saudi Arabia is hedging all their bets. And that's what that's all a part of. And, and by the way, the other Gulf kingdoms, UAE, we, Bahrain, potentially. And what you know better than anyone is you got to make a choice. It's Saudi Arabia or Iran. And when you cut off uh, aid to Saudi Arabia because you don't like where they're backing the Houthi rebels, just uh, going against the Houthi rebels, just know that you are kissing up to Iran by doing that. And that was the intent because we wanted to get that uh, that ridiculous <laughs> nuclear deal back on track. Yeah, look, I mean, all these decisions have consequences. These countries are all going to act in their interest. And they're like, well, we don't think America is reliable. I think that's especially true under Biden. So we better start hedging our bets and putting a little money and, you know, spreading out our, you know, our diplomatic engagement. Uh, we don't want to put all our eggs in the American basket. But, um, and in this particular case, that's why you're seeing them reach out to Iran and the other Gulf kingdoms try to do the same. So I want to talk about uh, what you got out of how much you might have watched from the hearings yesterday. And what you've taken from those hearings yesterday? Yeah. Well, it'll take about 30 seconds, hopefully, to explain to everybody, look, banning TikTok as a company is the only solution. That's a dramatic solution. I understand it. I understand that for the majority of people, TikTok is a place you can see, you know, funny videos and for entertainment. Here's the problem. TikTok is powered, like all social media companies, by two things. The massive amount of data that they gather on their users. And I mean, stuff people can't even imagine that they're pulling off your phone. And more importantly, the heart and soul is this, uh, is this search, is this engine, that this artificial intelligence uh, uh, algorithm that basically predicts what kinds of videos you're going to like and what kinds of things you're going to buy. Those two things. All these companies do that. Here's the issue. The issue is that the people, the engineers who control that artificial intelligence that, that, that predicts what you're going to like are all in Beijing because that belongs to ByteDance. Okay. So it doesn't matter where TikTok stores their data. It doesn't matter if they store their data in Washington, D.C., in Virginia, in Texas, wherever they want to store it. That algorithm that belongs to ByteDance only works if you give that out, those engineers in China access to the data. You can't have the algorithm without the data. So it doesn't matter where you store it. It's like you can put all your money in a, in a, in a safe. If you give the thief the combination, it doesn't matter where the safe is. You know, they, they have the combination to the safe. All right. So that's the issue here. So the second problem is, all right, so so what? They're in China. The problem is that in China, there's no such thing as a private company. Under Chinese law, every technology, every company in general, but especially technology companies, have to hand over any data they have access to. And they have to do whatever the Chinese Communist Party tells them to do. 
So I don't care what the CEO of TikTok says about uh, providing anything directly to the Chinese government. If they're providing it to ByteDance, which they have to in order for the algorithm to work, they're providing it to the Chinese government because the Chinese government can go into ByteDance and say, we want the data, and they don't have a choice. There's no court hearing. There's no court order. They, they have to turn it over, and, and they have to do what the Chinese tell them to do. So here's, here's what I wrap up. People say, well, this is a theoretical threat. Okay. So if we ever, God forbid, get into a military conflict with China, they're going to use hypersonic missiles to sink our ships. They're going to conduct cyber attacks to take down our electric grid and our Internet. They're going to use space weapons to blow up our satellites. But we don't think that, they're, that they would use TikTok's algorithm to drive messages in America about how we need to surrender, about how we need to take to the streets and riot, about how we need to fight with each other, uh, about how Taiwan isn't worth dying for. We don't think they would use that. They'll sink our ships and suit down our satellites, but they won't use something like TikTok for that. They absolutely would. And that's the ticking time bomb that's embedded in our society. And, and we need to confront this once and for all. I don't care how popular TikTok is, it is dangerous. And it needs to be banned because the Chinese, won't, unless they're going to turn over that algorithm, which they won't, they've already specifically banned that, there's no way to coexist with TikTok. So I want you to hear what Tristan Harris said from Social Dilemma just on 60 Minutes. He is one of the social media mavens in our country that's putting a five-alarm fire around uh, TikTok in particular and artificial intelligence. Here's what he told us. Now, let me tell you why our pace in the U.S. of going so fast recklessly is actually going to accelerate China. Uh, Two weeks ago, Facebook leaked um, their AI model to the Internet accidentally because they were racing to deploy it as quickly as possible. And specifically, it leaked to the worst place on the Internet, which is called 4chan. What that meant is that now we accelerated inadvertently China's own research because American innovation, we spent tens of millions of dollars on that model. And now that's now in China's hands. Right. So we're not saying let's go. By the way, that's outrageous. It's outrageous. It's outrageous. Oh, yeah. Well, this is this is a major national security issue. And and again, this being out there means that uh, China has access to um, with this model. What can you do with it? You could actually write spam in, in, a, in a voice that'll sound indistinguishable from another human voice. So I could say, write me an email in the voice of Brian Kilmeade and email the 10 people around him. And it'll sa- it'll be able to write an email that sounds like your voice in writing. So that's where we're going with AI. And that's, uh, that's five times, 10 times more dangerous than even TikTok is. Yeah. So actually the AI TikTok has is better than anything Facebook is using or anybody else. So they're already developing it. The second thing is the AI Facebook has belongs to Facebook. They're an American company, but it belongs to Facebook and it belongs to the U.S. government. Everything in China belongs to the Chinese government. Doesn't matter what company innovated it. It doesn't matter, you know, who paid for it. The Chinese government have access to all of it. And on that issue about using your voice as an example, if you sign on to TikTok, they changed their privacy rules in 2021 they can now collect your face print and voice print as part of their – and so they don't have to make up your voice. They have your voice. They have your voice. They have your face. They have the face print that you use to open your phone. They have that. And, uh, and so they can do all kinds of things, and you're absolutely right. That's the kind of thing that they can use to, in a moment of crisis and conflict, send out messages that sound like it's coming from the mayor of a city or the governor of a state or the president saying something that creates chaos and distracts us from taking on China, or maybe even convinces us we shouldn't. That, that is the ultimate vulnerability here, not to mention the fact that, you know, they could also decide, hey, let's, let's bombard American teenagers with messages about killing themselves and, and shooting each other. 
um, you know, which which is a way to poison a society that you're trying to overtake or from an over uh, or from an, uh, racial unrest. So you told me also to watch it when Democrats say we want to ban it and look out for Senator Warner who comes out aggressively against it. Uh, look out to putting together just something that is just window dressing. What has to be in the ban? And I understand the President Trump got stopped when he tried to ban it through the courts. What could stop the court from stopping us? Well, the couple things. The first is that one of the reasons why the court stopped it is on arguments of First Amendment, which I think need to be litigated all the way up to the Supreme Court, because we're not trying to ban the content. It's not what they're saying on TikTok we're trying to ban. It's the fact that um, they, that the way that system is set up creates a vulnerability where the Chinese Communist government has access to the data of 100 million American users. So that, that's the premise for it. That's number one. And, and on the other one is that, is that there is a statute that actually prohibits uh, this kind of thing. And so we, that's why we have to pass a bill that addresses that. Look, there's a bill out there. Warner's on it. Thune's on it. It's not that the bill is an evil thing, but all it does is basically codify the powers the administration already has. And it's my view, my belief, that this administration does not want to ban TikTok, at least not until after 2024. So not until there's another two years of data and other things going on. And so giving them the authority to do what they already have the authority to do and are not doing is, to me, not a solution. But it gives the White House the ability to say, we're taking TikTok seriously. So that's my problem with it. And and I just don't think we have time to remember. I started talking about this in 2019. You did. I called for a ban on TikTok over three years ago, three and a half years ago. I've been calling for this. So this is not a new issue for me. So three and a half years have passed and TikTok has only grown and and their influence has only grown. And, um, and, and, you know, look, I, I, I'm just worried that, you know, we're running out of time on this thing and there'll you know, come a point where it'll be too late. We won't be able to do it. Senator Rubio, thanks so much. You always take on the tough issues. Appreciate it. We'll stay on top of it. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. You got it. one 408 7669 Back in a moment. You're listening to The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hillary, you're running again. Well, I sure am, Karen. I just got here early for the new class we're teaching together on foreign policy decision-making. Classes don't start until September. Yeah, but I wanted to be prepared, Karen. You know, when it comes to crisis situations, you've always got to be prepared. Prepared? I think you're more prepared than anyone to teach this course. And I'll cover what it was actually like in the room during the bin Laden raid, the Iran sanctions, the Gaza ceasefire, you name it. Okay, but are you ready for whatever questions the students throw at you? (laughs) Bring it on. That is Professor Hillary Clinton getting set to teach a class that she's going to be, I guess, have an assistant on. uh, Professor Hillary Clinton at Columbia. And that is some of the poorest acting, talking about how she's prepared. I don't know. Uh, That's Hillary Clinton for you. Always put something awkward in the media that has people commenting. But she has no self-awareness to understand how that looks. But look, she's going to sit there and talk about uh, her foreign policy and and why she should have won the election. And that's perfect for Colombia. I wouldn't expect anything less. Mark, listening online in Ocala. Mark. Brian, uh, my company, Media Solutions, we work occasionally on social issues and possible compromise areas. And with the transgender sports issue, we've reached out to the Human Rights Campaign to see if they're willing to use a starting point at a transgender 
division of sports. Yeah, let's try. See if there's enough of them. I don't think there's enough, though, Mark. Nice thought, though. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Can you say with 100% certainty that neither ByteDance nor TikTok employees can target other Americans with similar surveillance techniques? Chair Rogers, I first of all disagree with the characterization that is spying. ByteDance owns TikTok. If ByteDance is told, and, and the CCP owns ByteDance, so they can make you hand over that data. Is that correct? The data is stored here in American soil by an American well, company. You say that. Over- and what he went on to say is, you say that, but they can still access it, and they can. And Jason Chavitz is here, just hung up with Mark Rubio, not on him. I'm not rude. But he was just on. He says, listen, you understand? He said in 2019, I was saying this. They have access to all our data. Everything they do is trying to get additional information and intelligence from us. This is the latest chance. Same way they invest in colleges, high schools, charter schools. Uh, the same way they try to steal our stuff from the Pentagon and from everyone's social media. This is would this would be an entree to giving them uh, the inside track to American society and news. One third of people under thirty get their news from TikTok. Why would we let China dictate that? No, I think it, at this point, I think you have no choice but to shut it down. There's not a halfway solution. I don't think you can just say, "Oh, well, they need to sell or different ownership." The idea that it, the data resides in the United States—Are you kidding me? That's one click away from being in our adversaries' hands. So did you learn anything out of that hearing? Um, I learned how bad they were in their preparation to be able to deal with these country, the, these, uh, these answers. Look, I used you mean, to, you mean the CEO? Yeah. I used to be, the I thought they were pretty the good. Well, I thought the, the both Democrats and Republicans were pretty good on this. Well, the onslaught of having five plus hours of Democrats and Republicans coming at you is tough. Usually From the same angle. Yeah. Usually you get a breather when the other party, you know, there'd be one party or the other that's sympathetic to you. There was none of that. And every intelligence agency is telling us this is happening. So let's listen to them. The bipartisan onslaught. The problem is, Brian, you don't have five people in the United States Congress that have any aptitude on technology whatsoever. It's hard. There was no probative question about the algorithm, about some. This is why when Zuckerberg and some of these others come and testify before Congress, they get the lamest questions because they don't know the content. You know what? I don't even blame them for that. I don't care if you're 70 or 30. But you have certain expertise in this world. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you'll walk into somebody's staff, and this was with your case. What is your weakness? Okay, i got to get someone. I'm not really good on defense. I'm not, I never served in the military. So you get the best military person on your staff, and well, you try to recruit why... it to fill your gap. Know your weaknesses. But when I was in Congress, I joined in a bipartisan way. I was the only Republican on it. But I said, look, we ought to have an Office of Technology Assessment so that we can actually talk the language that the nerds talk and understand this. A nonpartisan group to give information to members of Congress so they can make an informed decision. Without that, they don't. It's like to perform I, the analogy I use. You're going to perform surgery on the Internet and there's not a doctor in the room. You uh, don't perform surgery unless you've got a doctor. I mean, you just want a doctor in the room, right? Same with the Internet. And, and there are other things that are even scarier, like artificial intelligence. When Elon Musk is telling everybody, I've met with every governor, I met with the president, I have met with you know Congress in the House and the Senate, nobody gets it. 
That's scary. They'll listen to Elon Musk on this because he it, AI scares him. We all ought to be scared about it. Right. Uh, and then we had Tristan Harris here this week, and then he asked to get in touch with certain members of Congress that he thought were more apt to listen about the danger of AI. And I'm no, I'm not if you've seen the ABC report, but the creator of this latest uh, chat box, GPT and GPT-2 and 4, right. he says on camera, I'm scared of what this can do, and you should be happy that I am scared about it. Because that's the attitude you need because that's how that's how much power this potentially could have. Yeah. So I want you to hear a little of this exchange. This is uh, this is with the CEO on Capitol Hill yesterday, the CEO of uh, ByteDance. ByteDance owns TikTok. Listen, cut for it. I'm asking what you think would be the appropriate age to have a child get on TikTok. Our approach is to give differentiated experiences for different age groups and let the parents have these conversations with their children to decide what's best for their family. So you think that there is a sufficient um, safety mechanism for an eight-year-old to be able to access TikTok? An eight-year-old's experience on TikTok will be so highly restricted that every single piece of content he or she will see will be vetted by Common Sense, our third-party child safety expert, and um, the, the eight-year-old will not be able to post and the ADO will not be able to see any personalized feed and zero advertising in that experience. So I believe, yes, it is the appropriate experience for an ADO. However, listen to this, cut five. <laughs> well, then why don't you let your eight-year-old child on TikTok? I have seen these news articles. I would like to address that. My kids live in Singapore, and in Singapore, we do not have the under-13 uh, experience. If they live here in the United States, I'll let them use the under-13 experience. Okay, so you're saying it's because of... The country you live in doesn't have the same mechanisms. Is there a reason you don't have the same mechanisms everywhere? Uh, in, in principle, we want to provide you know a good experience for our users in general. We don't we don't want to monetize from people who are under thirteen. So that's not an answer. No, uh, but but the same thing. There's all these restrictions for TikTok in China too. Yeah, they don't they don't allow this stuff in China. It's a lot of history and a lot of learning. They shut it off at eleven. Hey, look, having been the chairman of this committee, let me put put on another hat. His response should have been, if he was going to give a good response, we play by the rules which the, are set by the United States Congress. If you want to change them, we'll play by those rules. But right now, you have no prohibition. And I do blame Congress, who set the age parameter before I was in Congress. At 13, you can enter into a user agreement. I do like, personally, I like what they were trying to do in Europe, which is, uh, the right to be forgotten, the idea that you can erase your account. And even you, Brian Kilmeade, if you signed up for something, any social media company, and you decide that you want to terminate that contract, why should they be able to use all of your information in perpetuity? That, right. that, that type of contract should be challenged in the courts because I don't think once you've signed up for this, whether it be your photos, and think about this, as a minor, you're going to give them in perpetuity the right to store and use this information, advertise against it. That is so fundamentally wrong. I want to uh, I want to talk about, when we get back, about Syria and what's going on there, because we retaliated and they retaliated again. This is unfolding, and I think I know, and it, it angers me where this is going, but I do want to talk about something lighter, but that matters. And that is this whole transgenders in sports. Now, I don't. You're a soccer guy. I noticed that Alex Morgan about six weeks ago came out and said, she's "Best so- women's soccer player." Said, "I have no problem with transgenders playing in women's sports," which is insane to me because she would not be a star if all these transgenders. You'll lose to Bulgaria if they have six transsexuals on the team. Just watch. 
So here's Sebastian Coe, a legendary track star in his day, now running the IAAF, which is the International Athletics Association, uh, track and field. Cut 27. The council has agreed to exclude male to female transgender athletes who have been through male puberty from female world ranking competitions from March the 31st uh, this year. However, in order to do further research into our transgender eligibility guidelines, we will be establishing a working group. They're not going to, you're not going to, no guys are running against the women. Good. Right? About time. So this is, I think, the beginning of, I hope people have the courage to stand up and make these rules. Yeah. Weightlifting, everything on down. Come Olympics, going to be a joke. Okay. So you want to get rid of women's sports? I mean, I, I think there's a place and a need for women's sports. And I think that's based on your your biology. I based on on how you were born. That's just I believe in X and Y chromosomes. So, I, but you know, there are other people that beg to differ. But I think if you're a biological male, you should play in the male sports, and I I, I think that's okay to to. But to suggest that you know the soccer star, she's saying, I can't remember which one did you say it was. It was Alex Morgan. Unbelievable. I mean, she just wants to get rid of women's soccer. Okay, right. But, okay, the know. center back on Brazil. You now you're losing to Brazil three nothing when you used to beat them one nothing. Why? Well, the center back on Brazil became a uh, became a woman. Yeah. Right. By the way, how many women have become men and competed? That's not really happening. I wonder why. What's going on there? Yeah. Uh, so the women's cycling champ decides to quit after losing to a transgender another transgender winner uh, uh, days after a New York race. So listen to this. This former cycling champ angrily quit the sport after losing to a transgender rider, a decision followed just days by another trans cyclist declaring that she felt like a superhero for her women's race win in New York. Uh, champion cyclist Hannah uh, Arnsman uh, uh, bolstered her decision with a statement to the Supreme Court filing on the issue. Uh, she went out and said, uh, I have decided to end my cycling career. And my last race is uh, is uh, was December 2020, 2022. I came in fourth place. Flanked on either side by male riders awarded third and fifth place. My sister and family sobbed as they watched a man finish in front of me. Additionally, it's difficult for me to think about the very possibility that I was overlooked for an international selection on the U.S. team uh, on the Cycle First World team in the 2023 because of a male competitor. Moving forward, I feel for young girls learning to compete who are growing up in a day when they no longer have a fair chance of being in the new, uh, the new record holders and champions in cycling because men want to compete in our division. What happened to this? Uh, what happened to fighting for women in this women's era? I mean, should we take away the right to vote next? I, I mean, it's so fundamental. Remember, it kind of brings me back to Lance Armstrong. Everybody was up in arms because he used, you know, male hormones. Male hormones to have an, an advantage and they kicked him out. I mean, we haven't heard him on the scene in years, right? What's the difference here? I mean, one was using performance enhancing drugs. The allegation is, and the other is, well, I was born a male and I'm sorry, but the biology is just different, right? You know, it just, if there's enough to go in your own category, but it all plays into today. We're reading this story about, uh, about abortion. And about this gynecologist who had his words changed on his article because he says there's no such thing as last-minute decisions, woman or the baby. He goes, I'm a gynecologist. It never happens. So they changed in his article. Not only did they delete that statement, they changed it to birthing person. Yeah. He's like, I go, excuse me, you're a gynecologist. Did you say birthing person? He goes, no, they changed it. 
in this parenting magazine. They changed it to a parent. This is nuts. It it's is insane. Amen. I, I, this seems like such common sense, and it, it spilled over into the military too. I, you know, we you see those just, testimony yesterday. They just had the testimony on Capitol Hill, and you just think we're spending millions of dollars. Rob O'Neill, the guy who took the shot to kill Osama bin Laden, really liked the guy, an American hero. He's out there, and he makes a really good point. And he says, you know, while the Chinese are trying to figure out how to win wars, we're out there trying to figure out who goes to which bathroom. Right. And, and, and any diversion from the idea that we need a fighting machine out there uh, as opposed to making sure we're all politically correct is just a diversion. And I'll play this out. China knows exactly what's going on in society. So if you have control of the news feed with most of the next generation of Americans, all these stories are being written, making that seem like a great move. Uh, making it seem like it's the the best way to go, the most fair way to go, and for critics yeah. to go are bigots and sexists and intolerance and racist. That's how you do it. They they're trying to get us from every angle. Do we have to leave our? Do we have to drop our hands and just allow ourselves to get punched? We'll think about that in the break. When we come back, though, we talk about the Syrian uh, our strikes in Syria that were already retaliated by Iranian proxies. What's next? Don't move. Coming to you on a need-to-know basis, because, man, do you need to know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, guess what? Uh, Jason Chavitz is here. Uh, Jason, I know you're going to be watching Saturday night, 8 o'clock Eastern time, One Nation, repeated at 11. I, you should watch both and DVR it, which would be nice if it were really friends, you would do it, but I shouldn't have had to ask. Um, but 8 o'clock, we had a great guest. Um, I will go into have. Oh, yeah. Am I, got, I on this week? Am I on this week? Allison, do you know if, uh, if Jason's on? Because I usually watch the ones I'm on. But, really? You know, yeah. If you're not on? You know what? We couldn't get a hold of your agent. And so I didn't know you were coming in today. That's good. My agent's doing his job. That's right. good. <laughs> you continue to bounce back. Uh, what was I going to say? All right. So, yeah, 8 o'clock. Uh, we're going to open up with Devin Nunes. We're going to go do a, a walk across the studio. we in the same block, if everything goes well, to Call Rove. They're both waiting on flat screens. And then we're going to – Can you do you believe that will be done? Can I, will, be done? I will be watching. Just for that. Oh, yeah, I watched For the it. walk or for the interview? <laughs> I want to see you actually. How many takes did you have to do to get a guy? I'm going to be watching. Yeah, Carl Rowe. I can walk Devin live. Nunes. I love Devin. Devin's a good guy. I served with Devin. He knows his stuff. Right. He that's does. Actually, that's actually going to be a really good discussion because Devin knows his stuff. Carl's been in the, I mean, he's been there in the White House. The guy, he's, he is one smart guy. I, I love that's the insight. And to me, the most exciting time is when the primary season. Because yeah. you get people actually being analysts on both sides. Yeah. Like, I want to see what Axelrod thinks about the GOP. I want to see what Rove thinks if there, are, if there is actually a race to get the nomination on the Democratic side. Because then they don't put on their political hat yet. They put on their expertise. Right. I, I think it's based on who's losing weight. You try to figure out who is actually going to uh, run. Pompeo's lost weight. DeSantis has lost weight, and Trey Gowdy has gained a lot of weight. So, so he's not, he's out. He, no, there's no way Trey's. I mean, he is so because porky of the now. Porky and soft is are usually the words that come to mind when you see him in person. Is this true? Oh yeah, 
I mean, Trey, Trey is a nice guy. There's a reason why. Watch when his show is on. They're they're taking him shoulders up. They would never go to a wide shot. No, you can't on Trey. Do you think that abs should be a requirement for for hosting? I wouldn't Good want abs? to be the one to have to check, but <laughs> Gowdy <laughs> has not done a sit-up in, I don't know, decades is well, probably how you We all make choices. Yes. All right, so we get up to this morning to the news that uh, this Iranian uh, kamikaze drone hit into our base. We hit back, killed eight of their guys, and then they hit back again. We have about 900 people there, and I, sadly, I, I think I can hear the retort. Why are we there? We don't belong there. What's our mission there? What's our mission? That's a good question. But why are we there? I'm telling you right now we're there. We just left the greatest looking glass ever, Bagram Air Base, put us in front of China and Iran and Russia right there in Afghanistan. We gave that up. Intelligence gone. Now we have ISIS come out of the thin air thanks to Barack Obama leaving Iraq prematurely, in my view. They come up. We have to stop before they take Baghdad. We do. We push them back along with the Kurds. We want to establish a looking glass on that area to see how these terrorists are reconfiguring. Now that we're hit, now there's going to be a move by uh, by timid Joe Biden just to pull out. I, I worry about Joe Biden. I don't think he has his finger on the pulse. I don't think he has a good political instinct. Remember, he was the one that was sitting there by the side with Barack Obama, the one who, who just said, oh, hey, Mitt Romney, yeah, you know, the 80s want their foreign policy back. I mean, this is not a person who understands that peace through strength creates a more peaceful world. He doesn't, fundamentally at his core, he doesn't understand that. And they got to loose, loosen the rules of engagement. you got to blow these people up uh, because they're going to be blowing us it's up. It's the language they understand. It's sadly. Yeah. Uh, it's the only thing that Iran understands. Yeah. Uh, and now we have a situation where Iran's reconstituting their relationship with Saudi Arabia, with the UAE. Yeah. And, you know, Saudi Arabia reapproached Syria, Assad. Yeah. About normalizing those relations. And what's, think about how good, good about Trump that? think about how good Trump had it going on. I mean, what Trump was doing, and he, he had Robert O'Brien, the national security advisor, he had Jared Kushner out there, and they're forming alliances between Israel and Saudi Arabia, Israel and the United uh, Arab Emirates. Unprecedented. I mean, Donald Trump really should have won the Nobel Peace Prize for that type of thing. But because it was Donald Trump, never even a consideration. But you remember, Barack Obama won the Peace Prize by not being George W. Bush. Yeah. So how Just many people could elected. do it? Yeah. Jason, I enjoyed our time. Too bad you're not going to be on television. I'm looking forward but, to watching But are you going to watch anyway? Absolutely. You, without you on it? Yes. Thank you. I don't know. That's convinced. I'll see you at 8 o'clock, everyone, night. And keep it here. Brian Kill Me, Jeff. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.